Hello there, this is Jared Silliker, and welcome to the Building Better podcast, where I interview building industry all-stars who are moving the sustainability needle. Today's guest is definitely building better by developing and operating high-performance, healthy, and comfortable multifamily projects in Seattle. As of fall 2020, Sloan Ritchie and his firm Cascade Built have delivered around 100 passive house units and have 200 more in their pipeline. In this episode, Sloan shares some great lessons that he's learned along the way, and we explore a new Seattle City Light program that helps solve the split incentive and rewards holistic integrated design. With that, please enjoy episode four of Building Better. Hey, Sloan, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for taking some time to talk today. Sloan is the owner of Cascade Built, uh, which is a high-performance developer and general contractor in Seattle. Uh, He developed Seattle's first passive house certified apartment project called Pax Futura. Uh, And his company is really dedicated to creating a healthy, efficient buildings in dense transit-oriented neighborhoods, which I think means uh, he's a perfect fit for the Building Better podcast. Um, so anything you want to elaborate on, uh, with that description or, and maybe tell us a bit more about core strategies to cascade built. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so we, I'm, I'm from Seattle. I lived here my whole life and, um, have, you know, been an environmentalist and love all the beautiful, um, you know, aspects of, of Seattle's natural beauty and, and have immense respect for that. So uh, on sort of transitioning into, into this career, um, I wanted to do something that was sustainable because the alternative just seemed, I guess, I don't know, unsustainable. Um, mm-hmm. And as I learned more and more and did a few projects, I, I came to realize that there was just so much more that could be done. Um, and so we had learned about um, Passive House about 10 years ago or so. And um, that seemed like a good energy bar to hit. Um, mm-hmm. and so we've spent, you know, the, the better part of 10 years kind of moving in that direction and building projects like that and kind of teaching ourselves what, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, our projects are, you know, the result of that kind of that learning process. Um, you know, for, you know, I guess in terms of the core principles, that interest us the most, you know, like you say, like dense, dense urban environments. Um, and we're kind of thinking a lot about uh, climate change and, and how um, building energy waste contributes to that. Um, and really how it is just so wasteful to use energy that you really don't need to use, um, particularly when it's contributing so much to, you know, larger, larger problems. Um, so that, that's kind of what has, has you know, driven us in the direction that, that we've gone. Yeah. How about, can you give listeners sort of the, you know, quick intro to Passive House? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, there are many um, industry energy standards for buildings um, and Passive House is one of those. And um, it focuses exclusively on um, energy consumption of the building. How much energy does that building consume? It uh, doesn't really think about did you know did you recycle the waste products or um, from how far away did you ship the building materials mm-hmm. like some other programs do. It really just focuses on 
how much energy is that building consuming? Um, and that seemed like at least one very important component of building responsibly. So it not only does it only focus on that, it also takes it to a very high level. So, um, you know, this isn't like an energy star upgrade of 25% or something like that. Um, right. It is essentially taking what in Seattle is already a fairly high bar for energy codes and and taking the consumption of the building and dropping it by maybe as much as 50%. So, you know, two brand new buildings, one consumes X and one consumes two X energy. So that's kind of the, you know, sort of the big picture kind of effect of it. Um, and it drives you down into all sorts of really small details about little things that you have to do differently and some bigger things like window packages and air sealing and and now HVAC systems, but but there's lots and lots of little details that go into that reducing the energy that much. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess another piece that I always like is is then the the correlations to comfort. You know, especially you know you're working on largely uh, multifamily projects these days. You know, it's like you know, people are living in these units, and like how can we make them more comfortable and use less energy on at, at the building level. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, those things just go hand in hand. It, yeah. I think it'd be a harder sell if you said, hey, it's really <laughs> energy efficient, but it's like less comfortable and, you know, and costs more. And, um, you know, there were some other negative um, implications to it. But I think it's, it's, it's kind of nice that by building in a building that is more thermally um, efficient, um, then you have less heat transfer leaving the building and less stay cold or hot in, in our climate it's more cold coming in um, it's mm -hmm. not drafty the windows aren't cold to the touch they don't there's not moisture condensation on the inside because the windows are not thermally adequate um, and so there, there are a bunch of side benefits that are nice too so okay it's it's more efficient uh, and um, it's a more it's a more comfortable space to physically occupy um, and I actually found all this out sort of firsthand I mean I knew I'd read about it and learned. Um, but I built myself a passive house, which I live in and mm. am in right at the moment um, and learned many things firsthand about exactly how it works and and how it's more comfortable and um, and all of those things. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's a nice, um, I guess, side benefit. Um, also, you know, thinking about, um, you know, the quality, uh, the air quality that you're breathing uh, in an indoor space. You know, you, you mentioned uh in uh, these times, some people are stuck inside and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people are generally at work stuck inside sometimes. It's nice to know that the air quality is much higher in this type of environment. And we can talk about that if you want. Yeah, let's yeah, let's jump into it. We're um, I guess we should date ourselves. We're uh, finishing up August 2020. Uh, we're we're fully in in the covid pandemic. Uh, as, as you know, uh, lots of folks at home, both, uh, uh, working as well as, has just, uh, being there or homeschooling, et cetera. So yeah, what, what are you, uh, what are you thinking about or, or changing in, in those, uh, with that in mind? Um, well, one of the things about, uh, living in a building with, that's designed in this manner is it's delivering filtered fresh air to the living spaces. And that might sound almost obvious, but most <laughs> buildings don't work that way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
In this case, there's balanced fresh air that comes through a mechanical system. It's filtered. Um, you're extracting heat and cooling energy before you exhaust air, and you're bringing in fresh air, filtering it, sometimes HEPA filters, depending on what type of system you have. And you're delivering that fresh air continuously at just a low level at all times to the living spaces. Mm -hmm. And then that airflow slowly kind of moves through and exhausts out through bathrooms, kitchens, laundry rooms, odor and moisture areas. And so it's just a continuous flow of fresh air into the living spaces and out through the odor places or moisture areas like the kitchen. Um, right. So that's kind of just the, the basic package if you're doing this level of uh, building because the building is airtight. And so you, you must provide fresh air. Now, in a building mm -hmm. that's built maybe just to code or even, you know, a, an older building, um, you're just letting in fresh air through the floorboards and cracks in the attic and wherever, right? You have no control over the, quote, fresh air that's that's entering the space. And that's how you get, quote, fresh air into a building is is basically through the cracks and crevices. Or I suppose you can open a window, too, which you can also do in a passive house, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but so so the nice thing is you've already got a system in place to deliver this filtered fresh air. And so one of the things that came up during our recent conversations, now that we're in full blown, you know, COVID situation is, well, how can we how can we address this in terms of the air quality? Well, we're already delivering fresh filtered air to every living space. So that's great. Mm -hmm. We're already doing that for other reasons because it's the right thing to do and so forth. Uh, but what we realized is that we can actually put a UV filtration on the head end of the supply air for very little cost because we've got the system is already there. Uh, so if that's desired by occupants, tenants, you know, homeowners, and so forth, um, it's a very easy add if something like that would be desired by somebody. You've talked a bunch about learning, which uh, which I love, and we've we've uh, hit on on in some previous episodes. Um, other, yeah, what other things kind of popped to mind uh, over the years uh, that you've, you know, be it, be it products or, um, you know, construct construction strategies that are, um, I don't know, feel either either you're you're proud of or or just kind of neat uh, neat learning. Um, that's a good question. Boy, there, I mean, really, ever since we started doing this this thing 15 years ago um, we've done a lot of learning um, and made so many mistakes I couldn't catalog <laughs> them all for you yeah um, but I, what I found out is that by making each mistake I've been able to learn what works about it and what doesn't work or why it didn't work and able to kind of iterate to something that that was an improvement um, and so at first you know it was harder to get the traction and to figure things out but once we sort of had a baseline of, of things that worked, then we could explore kind of in a more surgical way. Like, let's try this one thing to see if it might improve this process that we have that isn't as good as we think it might be. Mm -hmm. um, and gosh, you know, we've just tried just about everything, you know, <laughs> um, you know, in terms of different brands of things and all the different strategies to get ventilation in different places and the different, you know, different types of ways to air seal the buildings. One thing about uh, high performance buildings is you, you don't want them to leak through the walls. You want the um, filtered fresh air to come through a sealed duct. So it's purposefully yep. entering the building somewhere. Um, and we've tried just every possible way to air seal buildings. We've tried 
most most every product um, that's out there, and we found what what you know what what we think works the best, that's the most efficient for the type of building we might be building at any given time. Um, and most of that's just been through trial and error. You know, it's not like there's an industry standard. Everybody does it this way. There's there's mm-hmm. lots of ways. And there's some builders who who choose ways that are different than us. We have just found what works for us. Um, it might be the that it's the easiest. You know, it might, might even not be always the cheapest way, but it's the easiest way for us to um, to get it right the first time, or to um, you know to 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 go quality control something because we've got the mm-hmm. scaffolding up and we can send somebody around and it's easy to quality control um, when we do it a certain way versus doing it another way. Um, and, and one thing we've learned is when we're doing things that are not industry standard, um, that we need to come up with fairly bulletproof, easy to execute ways to do them so that we're not asking the trades to do something totally, you know, out of the box. Yeah. That might be just too hard for them or, too hard for us to quality control it or the products are too hard to get or something like that. So we've really tried to take those few unique elements and make them really just standardize them and make them pretty easy. Yeah, that's, that's kind of been our, our process to, to arrive at what works. I mean, because ultimately we're trying to what we're trying to do is make much better buildings, but not have them cost much more. Right. If if budgets were unlimited, then it'd be fairly easy you, know, you could just throw a bunch of money on it um, and it would be fine and if i were to do that then you know it probably wouldn't be as interesting yeah we build it and it's great it doesn't use any energy but it costs twice as much so no one's really going to do it right that's that's not an interesting story but if we're able to say you know we figured out how to do you know 2x better on energy and it costs the same or it costs two percent more or some some sort of nominal amount, then then I think that's something really worth considering, um, and that's and we're sort of approaching that kind of space. Yeah, I think the you know kind of financial sustainability is you know just as important because it lets you do more great buildings, and um, and hopefully you know other people can can learn from from that and and do them as well. Um, you know, doesn't doesn't do any any good if if you can't uh, attract uh, investors and and if you can't you know get uh, get people into those buildings. Um, how how is the sort of like in the financial performance world like the your cost premium evolving over time, and then I guess related you know financial performance you know like what are um, what are you able to deliver to investors and how are they, you know, how are they seeing your, your product and, and others like it? Yeah, I think that there's been, I mean, there's a couple of questions embedded in there. Um, you know, over time we've done some learning that, you know, over 10 years that has allowed us to go from, you know, an initial project um, where there were some significant cost premiums and sort of risks to take, you know, like we don't know how well this is going to work. You know, we've, yeah. we've, we, we're taking ideas from other places in the country, but so it's not like we're just completely out, out there, but, uh, we don't know how well it's going to work. There's going to be some cost premium there. We're going to try it on our own time and we're going to see how it works and we're going to test it and we're going to iterate and improve and get it to a point where it's, something that's financially, um, you know, just as good as the building next door. 
Um, and so we've sort of gone through that evolution over the years um, where now uh, we're, it's, we can go out to the market and, and raise capital just like anybody else. And besides having you know, financial returns, which of course um, you know, capital markets are going to demand, we also have you know, social and you know, environmental and other types of um, you know, elements that make the investment appealing. So we're going to say, look, we're doing something better than your you know, average project. Um, and you're going to get good market returns just like the other projects. So um, we've yeah. been able to move the conversation away from just it's really good for the environment, but the returns aren't so hot um, mm -hmm. in the other direction to, hey, it's really good for the environment and the returns are, are also good. And also in thinking about you know, the financial returns, we're building buildings to the energy codes of the future. So I'm building a building that others will build by code minimum in 10 years. And so at that yeah. point, we will still be on a level playing field with that building, even though we've been already performing that way for 10 years. And we're able to demonstrate that we're able to attract tenants and keep tenants longer. And there are you know, significant reasons why there's a, a, a good financial performance for these types of projects. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always like the, you know, the, the durability and quality arguments. And granted, it's long, you know, it's it's the long play, but to your point, you know, you're you're not creating the the like code minimum, like the the legally minimum project that you could build. Um, you're actually, you know, this building is gonna be operating into the future. So we should, you know, have it be, you know, somewhat durable, somewhat resilient, you know perform better than than just today so yeah that that seems like it would play out pretty well um, and maybe this is a also a good segue into um, uh, a topic I was especially wanted to quiz uh, quiz you on is I know you've uh, been exploring for a long time and, and finally getting to test out a, a new program here in Seattle um, it has a long name, uh, Energy Efficiency as a Service, uh, which is being run by our, our electric utility, uh, Seattle City Light. Um, and, you know, in my mind, this, you know, gives you an extra tool in that, you know, financial performance, financial sustainability of, of your projects. Um, can you uh, can you get us started on kind of what that what that program is and, and sort of what it's, what it means for your projects. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, you're right. We have been thinking about it for a long time and trying to figure out how to make that a reality in, in the Seattle market uh, for us and, and even for others anywhere, really. Um, mm -hmm. And, and essentially what, what the deal is. So, you know, we're investing upfront dollars uh, or our investors are up, investing money in building systems that consume a lot less energy. And you could build a building without any of those systems to code minimum, and there will be some cost savings there. So there is an upfront investment required to, to, to make your operational savings um, increase, to save energy during operations. Mm -hmm. And essentially what happens is you, you know, you say you invest a, you know, half a million dollars in a building, to have better windows and air sealing and HVAC systems and all those things. And the building saves, um, you know, what, whatever it is, a couple thousand dollars a month in, in energy. Um, the problem is, 
and this is called the split incentive, is that the energy bills are going to the tenants. So the tenants move in and, you know, each tenant, you know, they save 50 bucks a month on their utilities, for example. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's all well and good for them. But the building owner or the investors who have created the building um, have made an investment that they don't get a return on. Um, and we live in, you know, an economic world. And, the, and this is just the way things work in a, in a capitalist system um, that people tend to invest when they get a return and not when they don't. And so mm-hmm. generally, people build to code minimum for this very reason. Like, why would I upgrade the systems beyond code minimum if the benefits all flow to the people who aren't paying, you know, who don't pay to upgrade the systems? Right. So right. this is why 99% of the um, developers out there are not thinking about going beyond code minimum because it costs money and there's really no return. Um, there are ways you could say there's a return. Gee, could I charge more rent? Um, you know, so that, that's one path, but the problem is the tenants tend to just compare the rental rates when they're looking and they don't think about that the, that the utility bill might be cheaper or that it's more comfortable. So if it's, you know, it's 1500 bucks here and it's 1400 bucks here, they're just going to go with the cheaper one and they don't really see the right. savings until, you know, when they're, when they're shopping for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that discernment doesn't really get made at that time. And so what, what, um, this program does is it, changes this split incentive and it kind of turns it on its head um, and what it does is the 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 um, eeas energy efficiency as a service program it pays the developer the difference between the code minimum energy bill and the actual energy bill so the more savings you can generate the better and so it's really left up to the developer to say well, if we invest here, 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 and here, we can save this much on the energy bill, you know, significant savings. So they, they wouldn't do it if it were small. Sure. Um, but if they're really big savings, then you're going to say, we're going to invest this much money and there's a market return here because we know that the energy bill will go down by a certain amount and the utility will remit the savings back to the developer. So it gives them a return on that investment. So it's, you know, we could go into a much more lengthy and um, wonky description of how it all works. But mm-hmm. the basic idea is that from a tenant's perspective, you got two buildings, one code minimum, you move in, it's a hundred bucks a month. The other one across the street uses half the energy, way more comfortable, better air quality. You move in, the utility bill is a hundred bucks a month, but the utility company takes 40 of those dollars and sends it back to the developer who paid for the investment to make the building better. So that's kind of a, a, a simple way of looking at how the whole thing works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think another piece of this is that this then happens over a long period of time. Uh, is it, is this one uh, at 20 years or did, did they uh, decide on a different time frame? And I guess that, and also kind of maybe explain how that sort of helps your, your long-term finances. Yeah, it's um, so it is a 20 year uh, power purchase agreement uh, Mm -hmm. from the utility company to the um, to the building or to the developer, whoever puts that investment into it. Um, And so it's you know, it's 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 actually not a very large sum of money, but it's just enough to give a return to the investment that's made. 
And it's enough to take away that split incentive that really a lot of developers face and are unable to get over because ultimately you're most developers, myself certainly included, you're beholden to capital markets who are going to demand a certain level of return for the for the risk, you know, for the for, for the capital. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's so that's kind of how it works. And by even providing that 20 year power purchase agreement from the utility company, it gives some certainty to the investor that there's going to be a credit worthy counterparty on the other end of this thing that's going to write a check every every month or every year for that that little difference that just makes that makes an investment such as this in the sustainability of the building, it makes it viable. And it, it really makes it a little harder for someone to say, no, there's really no economic way we can do that because now there actually is. You have this in place on a um, operating project or one in development? It's one that's in development now. Um, they just launched the program not too long ago and we applied and were accepted. Mm -hmm. um, and that project is in for permits right now. And so we'll probably start that project um, in about maybe five months or so. Mm -hmm. So once once the permits are issued, then we'll finalize that, that uh, contract for the uh, EEAS service. And then we can um, then we'll, we'll be we'll be live on that program. So we have not great. Uh, participated yet, but we're in the process of starting that right now. Yeah. I've, another piece I like, at least in concept, is that it's, you know, it, it brings kind of that holistic, it's, it's got to prove out, which I, I think hopefully, you know, leads towards a more, more integrated solutions versus just, well, we're going to specify, you know, these really efficient lights or, you know, what, what was sort of like old, um, you know, tried and true utility programs of, theme savings based on a piece of equipment or a, or a material insulation or lighting, for instance, versus, you know, you've now got to say, I, I need a holistic integrated solution that's going to work because, because, uh, you know, you then need those, you need those savings to make it all, all sing really. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's a good point because it's not an incentive that they say, Oh, you bought some CFL light bulbs, you know, here's your check. Yeah. Good, good luck. It's not anything like that because, and, and that just, you know, who knows what happens to those light bulbs if they failed and you put something else in or, or if, right. what, what was the return on that? We don't really know. We, you know, we model it and we think we know, but this program is saying, well, after we measure your actual energy consumption, we will, you know, then we'll talk about how much, you know, how much savings there actually was. And then we can mm -hmm. compensate for that. So there's, there is an incentive for you to choose long lasting, you know, durable, permanent types of systems that that actually work very well. And it does sort of motivate the team in design phase to say, is there anything else? Because, you know, this is this needs to, you know, it's part of this 20 year package that we're really trying to, um, you know, trying to do have the most impact for the least amount of uh, capital invested. Um, so, so it really does yeah. motivate that in a, in a really sort of positive way. Right. And in theory, this should also help the um, you know, from a systems perspective, help the utility as well, because they are sort of, they're only paying for the savings they actually see at the meter. Yeah. And it's actually, it's kind of, it's really fascinating because they are not paying, the tenants are paying for it. So normally these incentive programs where yeah. you say, oh, we're going to put in, you know, CFL light bulbs in the whole building, the utility is stroking a check and sending it out to the, the owner, for example, to do that. In this case, 
the tenants are paying for this upgrade essentially on their utility bill. Um, so it's kind of a really, it's really flipping it on its head and it's saying that this is a, it's, it's revenue neutral. It doesn't cost the utility anything. And essentially, I mean, one of the other elements of this is the utility. If I went out and just built a code minimum building, they're going to have to deliver me however many kilowatts I need at that location for my code minimum building. But essentially, mm-hmm. and this is a sort of a little, we're getting a little, little wonky and a little nerdy here, but <laughs> one of the, one of the kind of interesting nuggets here is that instead of us, you know, at this location consuming X amount of kilowatts of energy, we're consuming less. And so they don't need to go out and build another resource to generate power because we're essentially becoming that resource by really dramatically reducing our energy. So that's kind of a piece of it mm-hmm. is that we're, we're providing load to the system that otherwise we would be consuming. So we're providing it back. Right. And that's that's why they're paying for it. That's that's sort of exactly how it works is they're saying, oh, mm-hmm. you've provided energy to the system more than, um, you know, that you could have consumed. And so we're paying you. So it's just as simple as that. Yeah, we're really excited to participate. I think it's it's awesome that the um, that Seattle City Light is, you know, they're a visionary and thinking ahead and really trying to figure these things out um, and, and working with us on this project. It's, it's really exciting. We're really thrilled to be part of it. You know, we've talked a bunch about, uh, you know, various uh, lessons learned. How about for you kind of across your career, like any any interesting stories of either, you know, getting, uh, you know, getting into this into this world or, um, yeah, I don't know, anything else that uh, comes to mind? I guess one thing that's kind of interesting is we um, the the first certified passive house apartment building that we did. Um, has kind of come sort of full circle. It's It's been operational for a couple of years now. Um, but what's really interesting about that is back when we were seeking construction financing for that project, um, I guess this was, you know, 2015 or something like that, um, we went to the uh, our usual construction lender. He said, oh, our, you know, our capital's kind of full right now, so take it somewhere else because we, we needed a certain timing. It didn't work for them. So we went to this other bank where we had some contacts um, and we said, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. Here's the, you know, here's the project. Here's the, the highlights and the demographics and all the information that they would need to do underwriting. Um, and, we, and we said, you know, it's one of these green projects that we always do. This one's passive house. Um, and we'd actually done projects like that before. And they said, okay, sounds great. The underwriters looked at it, said, okay, looks good. This works. We'll take it, mm-hmm. send it to executive loan committee. An executive loan committee is generally just a rubber stamp saying, you know, okay, all the, all the, you know, the, the execs at the bank say, yeah, it looks good. We agree with the underwriting. We don't see any big picture issues with this, you know, location or, or team or project or whatever. Um, and so executive loan committee, you know, I'm, I'm assuming I'll get a call saying, yep, we're all good. But instead I get a call saying, Hey, someone, asked what passive house was in the executive loan committee. And this, this person on the loan committee said, Hey, isn't passive house, the big box of rocks in the basement that heats and cools the place like those houses in the seventies out on the (laughs) East coast. Um, And my banker who was, I was at the loan committee presenting the project said he wasn't sure. I I don't really know. I, I think it's just a green project. I don't know anything about the box of rocks. 
<laughs> and so we hadn't educated them about what it was. And so anyway, they um, ended up uh, rejecting the project. I think once they wow. had talked about the box of rocks that no one could get it out of their head and they just, they just weren't sure. They thought it was a little too different. Um, yeah. And without even really understanding what it was. So they said, no, we're not going to do it. Um, so that was a, a lesson learned and a, a trial for sure. Um, okay. and we ended up taking it back to the regular bank that we do business with. I just said, Hey, look, is, is, is there any way that you have room for this project now? You know, now it's a month or two later. Okay. Um, and it worked out fine. He said, Oh yeah, actually we just, you know, we just made some room. No problem. We'll take the deal. So we got, we got it financed. Um, even after that happened. And, um, and I guess the funny thing here now, you know, almost five years later is we refinanced the project recently and we, um, so we went out to uh, Fannie Mae, um, you know, they provide a lot of financing for apartment deals and mm -hmm. we refinanced the project on a 10 year and we got a little um, bump in the interest rate for doing a, one of their green programs and they accept passive house as a path. Um, to getting that slightly improved interest rate. So, yeah, passive house. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, the underwriter for Fannie Mae demanded that they have the passive house certificate as part of the underwriting package. Whoa. And <laughs> I just thought, you know, having come full circle from getting rejected on the first construction loan to now Fannie Mae demanding to see the passive house certification, I just thought it was, um, you know, very funny, and uh, we were so glad to do it. And so anyway, we, we closed the refinance earlier this year, and I just heard um, Fannie Mae did a big conference call with all their brokers across the nation, and they announced that our project was their first passive house apartment deal, and they loved it, and they would like to see more of them. So nice, nice. I feel like we've come full circle on this thing. It used to be you know, it was a box of rocks that nobody really understood. And now Fannie Mae, the, you know, the biggest underwriter of, of loans in, in the nation um, is saying, yeah, bring it on. Bring us some more yeah. of these deals so that they see it as lower risk. Hey, yeah. energy bills are really low. You know, you think about thermal bridging and these things that are part of doing passive house. There's less condensation. There's less moisture. There's less, you know, rot and building damage. You've got more durability, tenants like it more, energy bills are controlled and lower. So they're, they're saying, hey, this is, you've taken, you've de-risked this thing by building to this higher standard. So I think that's kind of okay. uh, an ironic, you know, ending to the story after what, after sort of what the project had been through. Yeah, no, that's an awesome, uh, awesome power of education there, uh, even though it, it uh, took a while to to get there eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. I guess uh, okay. one other thing I wanted to mention, and this was, you know, years ago before we were doing apartments, we were doing townhouses and doing for sale. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one thing that was interesting that came up was, you know, we were sort of relying on real estate agents to do the selling. Um, you know, they're out there, you know, selling it. We had this certified passive house townhouse on the market. Um, and I was just kind of wandering through the open house. Um, and the agent who was there didn't, didn't know me and didn't know who it was. And we had, um, you know, like these little talking cards, these little, um, you know, you know, little displays around that kind of show, you know, verbalize what's going on. Like, oh, this is that, yeah. this is this. You yeah. Notice the windows, notice this. And we had a sign <laughs> on top of the induction cooktop that said induction cooktop. 
you know, <laughs> a little blurb about what that was. Yeah. Anyway, I was just kind of on the, I was, you know, in a room next door and I heard the agent telling his clients while looking at the induction cooktop saying, gee, I wonder why they did electric. I mean, they really cheaped out on that. It's, you know, with such a nice house, I'm surprised they went with electric. They should have gone with gas. <laughs> and so clearly uh, he, they had not understood or not, maybe not read the thing or maybe just not understood what induction was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of market misperception about these things. And that was part of what actually drove us away from trying to do the for sale product and do something more durable long-term that we can, you know, we can own and maintain and manage and, um, you know, yeah. educate people about while they're living there and so forth, rather than trying to have third party kind of agents doing that for us. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, that's a good one. And, and another sort of different type of education, but, uh, yeah, really important. Any, um, yeah. Any other issues that you're tracking or I guess like other things you're, you're trying out or want to try out, um, in your projects? You know, it's interesting. I've kind of gone from, you know, thinking a lot about the details to thinking a bit, a bit more uh, at a strategic level and thinking about, um, you know, how can we really leverage what we know and bring this to more people? And, yeah. um, and so I've gone away from like learning about the newfangled thing to really <laughs> thinking about how to, um, you know, how to, what are the processes and how to do this? Um, you know, efficiently and, and not have to reinvent the wheel every time and, and how to attract capital, um, and how to, um, you know, leverage this type of sustainability into the most, you know, most number of homes and apartments and buildings and square feet possible. So I think yeah. more, more about that part of it, sort of the big picture stuff. I guess I had realized years ago that, um, you know, really nerding out on some of the, the intricacies, which is, which is really important. Um, but if you stop there, it's just going to be hard to get past doing like one or two units a year, really. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to be able to translate it back to sort of the big picture and the larger world and, you know, kind of understand all the, how all the pieces move around. And so I've been more focused on sort of bigger, bigger picture things um, and trying to figure out how to make this, make it mainstream and make it just so easy that they really just take away the, the barriers and reasons to say no to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that blend, um, you know, between sort of like the technical details, the, you know, your, in, your investment um, groups and kind of how they and, and lending groups and how they operate. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the utility and that whole system. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the, the scale, which I feel like you're starting to see produce um in your own portfolio and and yeah agreed i i I hope that that can kind of spill over to um more of the market um to you know because as you as you know we we need it we need both housing but we also need um uh you know energy performance and 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 all these other um sustainability attributes that we're we're after be it you know healthy environments comfort um as we deal with covid pandemic thinking a lot about ventilation so Mm -hmm. lots of uh integrated pieces here that uh you're clearly thinking and uh and executing on really nicely 
yeah, it's it's been a, a really fun uh, challenge these last years and um, it continues to be every day. Great. Well, I think um, probably a good spot to wrap up and, you know, congrats on, on uh, these projects that you're making happen. And uh, thanks a bunch for telling a few stories with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jared. I appreciate it. I'm glad we got to connect. Great. Well, uh, wrapping up uh, the Building Better podcast with Sloan Ritchie. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.